that the Baal Shem Tov met Mashiach, asked Mashiach, when is the master coming? When is Mashiach coming? And Mashiach responded, when your wellsprings, when the wellsprings of Chassidus will be spread, your foots will spread outwards chutzah. So the question is why? Right? It's not, it's not a skula, you know, where they go to a makubal and they write a scroll. And so Mashiach said, you spread Chassidus and it's a magic trick and then Mashiach's going to come. There's, there's obviously more to that. That's not what it is. To understand the connection between Chassidus and Mashiach, we have to understand what Chassidus is and what Mashiach is. And once we understand the two, hopefully it should become clear in and of itself what the connection is and why one brings to the other. And before we get to understanding what, Chassid, what Mashiach is, let's start backwards because presumably most of us relate better to the world that we recognize, see, hear, feel, smell around us today. We, this is the world we know and understand. Let's get to understand this world and what it is and how it works, what the truth is behind this world. Then we can move on from there to the contrast between the world we live in today and Mashiach, what the difference is between the world we live in today and the world of Mashiach, and moving in that direction, once we understand the difference between the world we live in today and the world of Mashiach, then that'll, bring, that'll be perhaps a more natural course by means of which we will get to understand the world of Mashiach and what Mashiach is, what Mashiach really is about, which will then make it clear why learning Chassidus is so important and is the key to make Mashiach come. So we live in a world, there's a big world around us full of lots of things, lots colors, tastes, textures, people, different states of being. All of it is true. All of it exists. This table that exists, everything we look around us and see exists. How do we know it exists? If we want to be really Ehrlich and say the only thing that's a good enough proof for me is the Torah, the Torah says, and goes on to describe all the things that Abishta created. So if we want to get very... Um, very idealistic and not accept the evidence of our eyes and ears and only accept the evidence of Torah. Torah tells us that they wish to create the world. So the world's real and it exists. But when it comes to things that exist, right, there's a word in, in, in Chassidus that is probably one of the, one of, I would say certainly one of the most frequently used words in Chassidus is Metzias. Metzias means, let's say, existence, the way something is found, call it what you want. But that's, that's what Metzias is. Now, something that's quoted in Chassidus, but it's a term that goes back, really, that is taken from what we would call, I guess, Chkira, from Jewish philosophy, authentic, real Torah Jewish philosophy, not philosophy of people who are Jewish, but their philosophy is not necessarily in line with Torah. Real Torah Jewish philosophy, there's a term that's called Mechoyev HaMetzias. Mechoyev HaMetzias means that something, literal translation, most literal translation is, its existence is obligatory. What does that mean? That means that it must exist by definition. The nature of this entity requires that it must exist by definition. We can't say that about anything that we encounter. Very simple example, the table that we're sitting at. Does it exist? Yes, it's real. Halacha says it exists. There are all kinds of scenarios we could say that Halacha would address the fact that this table exists. So it exists. Torah acknowledges that it exists. Hashem created it. But it doesn't have to exist. It could have never existed. Very simply, 
the carpenter who made the table could have never made it. The tree that the wood came from could have never grown. Whether it was planted deliberately by a farm, whether it was planted because a bird dropped a seed out of its beak, all of those things could have never happened and the wood could have never even existed because the tree could have never grown. And that is true of everything. Everything could have not existed. We all could have not existed. We all could have not been born. We're not mechui of Hametzias. I don't, by definition of my nature, need to exist. I could have very easily not existed. All of us could have not existed. Let's keep it simple and say that that's the truth. And certainly the world around us could have not existed. Not only every entity individually, but collectively the entire universe could have not existed. Hashem could have not created the world and it wouldn't have existed. So nothing that exists, and this is true of the physical world, this is true of Atsilas and Bria and Yitzira and Asiya, and everything that exists, spiritual realities, all of it could have not existed if Hashem would have chosen to not make it exist. Or if Hashem would have, let's go deeper, not chosen to make it exist. It's not Mechoyev HaMetzias. The only single entity in existence, which is Mechoyev HaMetzias, is the Ebishter himself, is the creator. The nature of the Abishur is such that he exists by definition. Did, the Abishur didn't need to be made to exist, and there was no option for the Abishur to not exist. So the Abishur is Mechoyev And it's the only thing that, therefore, if we want to dig really deep, the only thing that, let's say, perhaps exists absolutely is the Abishur. Everything else's existence is at the very least, dependent on the Abishta's decision to make it exist. Everything that exists, its existence is perhaps subjective. It depends on perspective. So the only thing that has to exist by definition is the Abishta. So going back, right, before, let's say that there was no interest in having anything exist. The only thing that exists is the Abishta, and that's the way it was. Then the Abishta decided to make a world exist. Now, okay, got to try to keep things reined in because we don't have all night. So, in short, we know that one of the big things we discussed, a big topic again in Chassidus, is simsum. What does simsum mean? Simsum means contraction. What does that mean, practically speaking? What does that mean in terms that mean something to us? It means that in order for us to live in a world that we live in where there are defined entities, everything has a defined nature, defined features, defined purpose, defined characteristics. Everything, each of us perceives ourselves as being an independent entity. I see myself, I I can only speak for myself honestly, I see myself as me. From what I hear, most people see themselves the same way. So, how is that possible? How is it that there is the Abishta, there is God, a creator, who is Mechoyev Amatis, who exists by definition and is everywhere. Let's go a step back again. There's an expression in a Medrash that says, why is the Abishta called Makoim, right? One of the names we see for the creator is Makoim. If we look in the English Siddur, whenever you see the term Makoim, it's usually translated as omnipresent, which means present everywhere. Is the Abishta present everywhere? Absolutely. Is that a precise translation of the name Mokom in context? It's not. It's the truth, but it's not the full truth. Why not? 
There's a medrash that explains the Ebishter's name Mokim. Why is Kodesh Baruch called Mokim? What does Mokim mean? Translation of Mokim is place. The medrash says, Lama Nikrashmoi Mokim. Why is Kodesh Baruch called Mokim? Ki hu shel oilam. He is the place of the world. The world is not his place. What does that mean? That means that the Abishter, as we said, existed by definition always. Back in time, forward in time, before time even existed. Time is a creation. Space is a creation. So the Abishter was the only thing, God was the only thing that existed before space existed. Then the Abishta decided to create space within, not within the space, because there was no space, but now the Abishta is the location in which space exists. The Abishta was there before space. He created space. Space exists within him. That's why the Medrash says, He is the location in which the universe and space itself exists. The universe is not a space in which the creator exists. Space is not a framework in which the creator exists. So is it true that the Abishur is omnipresent? Is the creator omnipresent? Yes. Is that really what the name Mako means? No. It's an outcome of what the name Mako means. The name Mako means that the creator was there before space existed and then he created space so by definition there will be no location within space that the creator is not there so the creator is omnipresent is present everywhere but that's not really what Mako means so now if we're saying that all of space exists within the creator within god within hashem all of time exists within the abishter how are we sitting here? How can I sit here and think of myself as an individual entity? Forget me, time and space wouldn't even exist if not for the fact that the Ebishter is constantly making them exist. The universe, the physical universe, all the elements of the universe within which I exist would not exist if the Ebishter wasn't constantly making them exist. And certainly that's true of me. So how do I view myself as an independent entity? How does any entity view itself as being something that actually exists independently? And the answer is symptom. Symptom means contraction. What does contraction mean? What the word means is that the Abishter contracted himself, took himself out of the picture. Now, this was a very contentious point in a big debate about Chassidus that has spanned centuries. It isn't really going on per se anymore but anyways and that is is when we say that the creator everybody agrees that the Abishter contracted himself God took himself out of the picture because if that wasn't the case we wouldn't be sitting here we wouldn't be thinking about food we wouldn't be thinking about getting to bed and getting to sleep because we're tired we'd just be blinded by the glory of the creator that would be the way it would be so the creator takes himself out of the picture there is an expression that comes from, goes back centuries from a very old Kabbalistic Sefer, a Sefer of Kabbalah. And it says that Kutra Brichlo, the Ebishter, is Shleimusa Dukula, is the absolute, absolutely complete. What does that mean? That means, just like the Creator has the ability or the characteristic of infinity, he also has the ability to limit. 
Because if you want to say that the creator is infinite and must be infinite and does not have the ability to limit and create a scenario of finiteness, you are taking away from his completeness. If we say that God is infinite and is unable to be defined or to decide to be defined, then we are defining God by saying that God is infinite but not finite. So to be truly, absolutely infinite, qualitatively infinite, and quantitatively infinite, the Creator, God, the Abishter, has to be able to limit Himself. And that ability to limit is where Tzimtzum comes from. Tzimtzum is contraction. Now, the Baal Shem Tov teaches that Tzimtzum is not Kipshutai. We learn Tzimtzum is not Kipshutai, which means that when there is a situation where for example, someone's doing something wrong and Avera is happening, the Ebishter is not absent. You go to a place of Tumah, a place where, if I go to a place where Halacha says, I am not allowed to think Divrei Torah, I'm not allowed to think about anything holy, the Ebishter is not absent, the Creator is not absent. Tzimtzum is loikipshutoi. Means there is a contraction and the Ebishter is absent, but it's not literal. So what does that mean? What that means is, I guess perhaps the best way of saying it precisely in English would be it's a pseudo-contraction. It's a fake or pretend or apparent lack of godliness. So is the Creator everywhere? Absolutely. Are there places that we think of as being less associated with the Creator? Also, absolutely. But the Creator is still there. And the same applies on a more universal, from a more universal perspective. We're sitting here, each of us is thinking of ourselves. How do we think of ourselves if the Creator is present? We should be blinded by the glory of the Creator. Why are we not? Because the Creator, God, the Abishter, has contracted himself, taken himself out of the picture. But that doesn't mean he's not here. Tzimtzum is loikipshute. The Abishter is equally present everywhere. It's just that the Abishter, the Creator, has put the symptom into effect, symptom is Lokipshuti, which means that there is an apparent lack of presence of the Creator. And as we go down the Seder Hishtalshalust, as we go down this chain of spiritual evolution, we start off at the highest levels where Relative to the world, we know the Creator is very readily apparent. In Olam Hatzilos, it's Eitzel, it's close, it's in proximity to the Ebishter. So the Ebishter's presence is relatively apparent compared to the reality that we live in and the reality we know. As we, but compared to the Ebishter himself, it's still an entity, a spiritual location a perspective, whatever we want to call it, that exists, that is not the Creator Himself. For something other than the Creator to exist, there has to be Tzimtzum. As we go down from Atsilos to Bria to Yetzirah to Asiya, the level or the degree to which the Ebishter is apparently concealed, or there is a pseudo-concealment, pseudo-contraction of the Ebishter's presence, of the Creator's presence, that increases and we become less and less in touch with the truth. But the truth is that the Ebishter is everywhere. The truth is that everything that exists, exists only because the Creator is making it exist at every moment, every instant. And that's the true reality of the world we live in. So, the world we live in, in terms of our perception, the perception we have of reality 
is an outcome of the fact that despite the fact that the Abishter is here, the Creator is present everywhere, but the Creator has created. I think we're excused from overusing the word created when we're talking about the Creator and creation. The Abishter has created a scenario where his presence is not apparent. It's here, but it's not apparent. There is a pseudo lack of presence of the Creator. Because that symptom allows us to exist, allows us to be unaware or out of touch with the fact that God is here. Wherever we are, God is there. Everything we touch exists only because there is a there is a divine creative energy which is making it exist at every moment in time. That's true of each of us and true of everything we encounter. Every object, every location, every concept. Nothing exists if there isn't a that's making it exist. For us to live the reality that we're living, there has to be a lack of awareness or a lack of perception of that truth. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to live a life. We wouldn't be able to encounter challenges. We wouldn't be able to do our job that we're here to do. So, really, simply put, in the purest form, what is Yomosa Mashiach? What is the time of Mashiach? Rambam describes Mashiach and says, Rambam says, when Mashiach comes, the world is going to continue to operate the way that it operates now. And really, this Rambam is very much in line with the Medrash, a Medrash which the perspective of Chassidus is very much based on, as quoted in Tanya. Why did the Ebishter create the world? Why did the Ebishter, why did the Creator create this world? Because he wanted to have a resting place, a dwelling place for himself, for God, creator, divinity, in a physical world. Now, that didn't have to technically take 6,000 years, 5,500 years, whatever it is, somewhere in between. David could have created a world, could have come crashing into it, and everyone would have been happy, right? As we said, he could have done that. He's the absolute infinity, can do whatever he wants. But that wasn't the point. The point was it should be a dira betachtonim. The dwelling, the resting presence of the Abishtu should be in the world. It should be part of the world. If the Abishtu would have created the world and just imposed himself on it, barged in and said, hey, I'm here to stay, metaphorically speaking, of course, it wouldn't be part of the world. It wouldn't be dira betachtonim. It wouldn't be a divine presence in the world on the world's terms as part of the nature of the world, it would have been something that came crashing into the world. Dira betachtonim means it's part of the world, which means to really be a part of the physical world, it has to be something that interacts with the world on the world's terms, which means it has to be achieved at least to some extent by means of a worldly process. So Rambam says, The world's going to be the same. If we were going to say that all of a sudden the world would change and it would cease to be the world that we know, then it wouldn't be a dirapa tachtonim. It wouldn't be a dwelling place for God in tachtonim in this world. And it wouldn't have needed to take five and a half thousand years. The reason it took so long is because it was a process of us by means of worldly processes bringing kedusha, bringing 
infinity, bringing godliness into the world by means of worldly processes, by means of physical mitzvahs, by means of going about our human lives in a way that's in line with Torah. So because that's the purpose, the purpose is dira betachtonim, it should be divinity in this world. That's only going to be the case if we're going to say that that it's going to be the same world that we know. That's why it's going to be the same world that we know. So what actually is, what's the Nakuda? If we had to sum up Mashiach in one point, what would it be? Rambam says that why do the Chachamim yearn for the days of Mashiach? What's going to happen when Mashiach comes? And Rambam quotes the Pasuk from Yeshaya. The world will be filled with recognition of the Creator. The change here is the recognition. Everything is divinity. Tzimtzum is lokip shutri. God is everywhere. The Ebeshter is everywhere. It's just that on, t- on the world's terms, the world, the existence of the world is not, shall we say, perhaps in touch with the fact that it's being made to exist. So, by the Creator. So, Kedusha is not begilui. It's not part of the worldly experience. It's not absent. Tzimtzum is lo kipshute. If it was absent, there would be nothing. It's here, but it's not part of the worldly experience. It's not begilui. When Mashiach comes, Yeshaya says, Umalah aretz deya es Hashem. The world will be filled with recognition of Hashem. So what's going to happen is we are going to see Vera'u kol basar, a flesh, our physical eyes. We will look around and see Kipi Hashem Diber, that the word, that the mouth of the Ebishter has spoken, that the, 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 the Asara Mamaris, Shebahem Nivra Olam, that the creative force that makes the world exist, the Koyach Apoyal Banifal, is the reason everything exists. We'll look around and we'll see it. That's the main thing that's going to change is perspective, is experience. We will be in touch with the truth. Now, in order for that to be a result of a worldly process, in order for Umalah Ha'aretz Deya Es Hashem to not be something that's imposed on the world, but to be something that is Dira Betachtonim, Olam Kimin Noeg, for this recognition and awareness to be something that's actually part of the world that was achieved through worldly process, it has to be something that we are able to achieve, at least to an extent, on our own. And that is exactly what Chassidus is here for. Chassidus is the discipline of learning about Achdus Hashem, really. It's learning about the oneness of God. And what did the Altreba do beyond what the Baal Shem Tov did? And different to what his colleagues did, the other Talmudim, the other students of the Magid? The Altreba created a, let's call it a discipline, the Chassidus Chabad, which allows us to study in detail these various topics and things that are relevant to have some sort of perspective, some sort of awareness of the absolute truth, of the truth that everything exists as all part of one grand scheme, everything exists because of the same God that's making it exist. So the Alter Rebbe chose to create a system that we can use, we can learn Chassidus Chabad, we can actually, by means of a worldly process of using our physical brains, our minds, to learn and understand and become aware of the absolute truth to an extent. 
So the concept of Omala Ha'aretz Deya Es Hashem, the world being filled with a recognition of the Creator, which is really, to an extent, the point of what Mashiach is about, and there's obviously a tremendous amount of details that are relevant to Mashiach, things that happen when Mashiach comes, but if we wanted to boil it down, what does Ramam say Mashiach is all about based on the Novi, based on Yeshayah, Omala Ha'aretz Deya Es Hashem? So in order for us to make that something that is to whatever extent possible a result of a worldly process, it's part of, it's a dirah, it's part of, in the world, for real, part of the world, not imposed on the world, we have to learn chassidus. When we learn chassidus, our, our perspective changes. We become somewhat aware of the absolute truth. We start to have deya es Hashem, a recognition of the truth, of the fact that everything exists, exists because it's being made to exist by the Creator. And we are, therefore, essentially, through learning Chassidus, we are achieving a state of Mashiach naturally, to an extent. Obviously, when Mashiach comes, the Deya Es Hashem that's going to happen is something that's going to be on an entirely different level. But we have to prepare for that by achieving the same thing, by achieving the analog to whatever extent is humanly possible. And that's what we do when we learn Chassidus, when we learn about Achtus Hashem, Look at the beginning of Perek Lamed Gimel of, of Tanya. The Alteba talks about Simcha. What's the Simcha? The Simcha is what's the, the... Anybody at any given time, regardless of circumstances, should be able to break out into joy, into a state of joy. Why? Think about the fact that the Creator, God, the Abishter, is here. Wherever I am, He's here. Present right here. I am literally touching. I'm The space that I'm in, the Abishter is in that same space right here. It takes a lot of work at this point to have any sort of real awareness of that, but it's achievable to an extent. The more we learn chassidus and the more we are not just learning, but involved and, and being misboned and trying to connect to what we're learning and to make it real for ourselves, the more this becomes a part of our natural perspective and the more our life becomes a life of Deya Es Hashem. Which means that by learning Chassidus and by connecting with Chassidus, we are creating, to an extent, a state of Mashiach. And as a result of that, Mashiach becomes a natural outcome. And that's why Mashiach said to the Baal Shem Tov, When your wellsprings, the wellsprings of Chassidus, that give people an awareness of the real truth, get spread out and there starts to be a global, a global recognition of the absolute truth, then the arrival of Mashiach becomes a natural outcome because that is, to an extent, basically what Mashiach is all about. So, keeping this in mind, keeping in mind what Mashiach is and what we have the ability to achieve through Chassidus, number one, it makes Mashiach perhaps a lot more exciting, hopefully. Number two, it should hopefully give us more of a cheshik in learning Chassidus and taking it seriously and understanding that when we learn Chassidus, we literally, it's not a schooler that if we learn Chassidus, then once we learn a certain amount of Chassidus, we earned enough points and Mashiach's going to come. Learning Chassidus, Mashiach's arrival is a natural outcome of learning Chassidus. That's why Mashiach said, when Chassidus is spread, because when Chassidus is spread, the result is a global, to an extent, the more chassidus is spread, the greater the extent to which there is a global awareness of the truth. And that is what Mashiach is.